cool is that? They stole the guy from the San Diego Zoo for the St. Louis Zoo. Boy, this is like zoo battles. Do you see that being a Will Ferrell movie? Like the two rival zoos going at it? Kind of an anchorman feel to it? I don't know. <laughs> 906, Dr. George Sells. KMOX is at your service, and I'm just babbling at this point, but that is really interesting. <laughs> Lots coming up this hour. Plenty of more talk about Cardinal Baseball. And uh, in our next segment, we talk to Barry Weinberg, longtime trainer for the Cardinals and other major league ball clubs. And he wrote a book. And it's one of those, some of the best books I think out there when you're talking about sports related books are when somebody who is in the middle of sports will take that, but they'll take some other passion that just fits as a sort of a sidelight to it. And he has done this with his love of food and restaurants. It's called Eating My Way Through Baseball. And for those of you who were listening when I was on last Thursday night, and I'll revisit this with Barry, but uh, our good friend Mike Claiborne, fresh into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame, was on with me. And Mike was telling me that Barry was the guy I had to talk to about food and baseball. And I made the pledge then that I was going to get the uh, contact information from Mike and get him on. And Barry's going to join us here coming up in about a little less than 10 minutes from now. So looking forward to that. Also coming up, we've been hearing a lot the last few days about Facebook. One day you couldn't log on to it. The next day they're getting skewered in Congress after being skewered on 60 Minutes. Interesting times for the social media giant. We're going to have a big tech expert on to talk about what this may all be about as far as the uh, congressional portion of things, how this could impact social media, and also about that big outage yesterday. What happened? There are some people out there that actually think that this might have been some kind of a conspiracy, like Facebook was trying to direct attention away from the testimony of the Facebook whistleblower in Congress today. So uh, get out your tinfoil hats for that one. We'll see how that, we'll see how that goes. We'll see... Uh, what the thoughts are there. So we'll be coming up on that later on in the hour as well. And, of course, ready to talk Cardinals throughout the night. Big, big game tomorrow. Exciting game tomorrow. One and done. There's nothing quite as exciting as a sporting event where everybody on the field has their season on the line. Game sevens, uh, one and done playoff games, single elimination playoff games. That is what this is. And... It's exciting stuff. But I'll tell you what, what is really interesting right now, now obviously we're all rooting for the Cardinals, but take a moment to put yourself in the position of a Major League Baseball executive, particularly one of the Major League Baseball executives that has to pour over the ratings every night and look at the revenue coming in off of the commercials and figure out just how much they're going to make throughout the postseason. Tonight, right now, as we speak, the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees are playing a one-and-done game on the American League side of things. Currently 3-1 to one Boston in that game. Sox coming to bat. Yankees are in some trouble. Tomorrow night, of course, we've got the hottest team in baseball, your St. Louis Cardinals, going up against the Los Angeles Dodgers, who won over 100 games in 
in past years, people would have found it almost unimaginable that they would be in a situation of playing one game for their mere survival. But if you are that Major League Baseball executive who has to worry about finance and all those good things, you run the risk of losing the two largest TV markets in the country in a period of 24 hours. That is what they are facing. If Boston holds on for three innings and beats the Yankees and the Cardinals come out tomorrow in in Los Angeles and can upset the Dodgers, Major League Baseball will have lost, not sure what the number is as far as population combined of those. It's, it's like 34 million people in those two cities that will no longer be particularly interested in the baseball postseason. This is something to keep an eye on. I had a boss years and years ago, and he told me that anything in journalism, any story uh, that you wanted to get to the bottom of, always follow the money. I would suggest to you, in this instance, follow the money. Because if the Yankees get popped tonight and the Dodgers get popped tomorrow night, there will be a lot of discussion about the millions and millions of dollars lost in uh, commercial revenue from this year's playoffs amongst the owners and amongst Major League Baseball as they determine what to do next year. You will see a change in the system. No question about it. And they're coming up on a collective bargaining agreement anyway, so there will likely be change of some sort. But uh, my money is... And if you've listened to me before, you've heard this, heard me say this before, but my money is this time next year, at the very least, we'll be talking about a best of three playoff for the wild card to eliminate some of the risk of the big boys getting kicked to the curb somewhat unceremoniously in the first week of October. It's 9-12 on KMOX. I'm George Sells. Back in a moment. From the stretch, the pitch, a swing and a miss, a Redbird winner. And the Cardinals have won 16 in a row. They swept the Cubs four. St. Louis Cardinals. 9-17. KMOX at your service. I'm George Sells with you until 11 o'clock this evening. Now, if you were with me this past Thursday night at this very time, this, this segment, we had a great time chatting with freshly inducted Missouri Sports Hall of Famer Mike Claiborne and talking about baseball and the Hall of Fame and all this kind of stuff. And then we got, we briefly went completely off the rails and started talking about the fancy meal that he had cooked for his girlfriend that night. And he stops me. He says, you know who you need to talk to? He's like, if there's one guy you need to talk to about baseball and food, it's Barry Weinberg. Former Cardinals trainer, among others, and still with the team in a higher-up capacity, also with the Pirates, the Yankees, the A's. And Clave said, this is the man that we need to speak to. And I pledged on my honor that I would track him down and do that very thing. And, Mike, if you're listening, I followed my pro- my promise. And on the line now, Barry Weinberg joining us. Barry, thank you for joining us on Game OX. Well, it's a pleasure. Good evening to you guys. Good evening to you. Now, 
you have lived your life revolving around two of my favorite things, and that is baseball and food. <laughs> and and I, I say revolving around for folks who don't know. Barry has a book out called Eating My Way Through Baseball, Life's in Journey, Enjoy the Meal, all wonderful things. Barry, tell me, I guess, I guess it's you, you become a foodie almost by necessity when you're on the road as much as you were for most of your career. Well, I can... Um... Uh, dispute something that uh, you just said about Mike uh, bragging about some of the great meals he's cooked for his girlfriend. <laughs> you know, uh, I've never cooked a meal. And the reason I wrote the book was that I've never cooked a meal, nor do I try. And uh, I've eaten out for over 40 years, breakfast, lunch, and dinners. And a friend of mine, uh, a writer, Jonathan Shapiro, and another buddy of mine, an actor, Mike Bellucco, we used to go to dinner and lunch and said, you got to write some of these stories down. You tell, you know, at dinners, I said, I'm not a writer. And so finally they convinced me to write some of these down and I had them transcribed. And next thing you know, there's a, there's a book on all the food and the great restaurants in every city. And the book is broken down into segments where at the end of each chapter is three restaurants I've eaten at and what I ate and why we went there. And at the end of the book is an appendix that has about seven, eight, nine, ten restaurants in every city in baseball, starting, you know, American League East, American League West, American League Central, National League East, West, and Central. And so it comes to about 300, 325 restaurants at the end of the book. And so uh, that's basically, you know, how we, how it came to be. And, yes, you're right, I I, um, I eat most of my meals out. But, unfortunately, through the pandemic, uh, I don't mean to make a liar out of myself, but I had to cook a little bit. I was going to say, Mike told on you a little bit on that. He yeah. said that you actually uh, had to try to dabble in the kitchen a little bit. Obviously, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. How did it go? It went pretty good. I bought an air fryer, and for those people who don't cook, it's the way to go. It's uh, it's kind of foolproof, and it uh, I've cooked everything from pork chops to burgers to chicken to, to salmon, you know, and uh, mm. it actually came out uh, good enough for me to eat. That sounds good. Yeah, I've I got an Instapot a couple of years ago for Christmas, and that's an, that's another one that's got a you can do a pretty good run with through the winter time, and it's faster too. If we we've got a you know two people working, family, kids, all that kind of stuff, I, I found the Instapot's another nice one. Maybe one for yeah. you to dabble in this year. <laughs> okay, and you know the book, you know it's it's about food, but it's about my experiences and the people I've gotten to meet over the years, and you know the wonderful people you get to meet through sports and through baseball, of course. And uh, the dinners I've had with people from all walks of life and all walks of, of entertainment and music and sports, different sports, uh, coaches, uh, other trainers. And it's, you know, it's, um, it's a walk through my history. And, and I've always said I've been, I've been very blessed and I've had a, a wonderful career and uh, very fortunate to do the things I've done in cities that I love, like St. Louis and, and a sport I loved in baseball and a profession I chose that I really enjoyed. Now, broad, wide open question. Uh, hit us with hit us with a favorite story. Hit, hit us with one of the favorites out of the book. <laughs> well, I think one of the stories that you know some people in St. Louis will, will recognize is uh, I'm sitting next on the bench with Ryan Terrio in the shortstop we had, and next to Edwin Jackson, and Ryan Terrio, and John Jay's hitting, and he hits a ball with his ankle. And as an athletic trainer, you go out to see if he's okay. Well, I get up to go out, and Jay gets up and kind of shakes it off. And I sit down next to Ryan. And I said, Rhino, do you know what I say to every player if I have to go out and look at him in a situation like that? And he said, no, what? 
I said, I always whisper, I would see if he's okay. At the end, I always whisper in his ear, remember, 68% of the time I have to run out on the field, you'll get a hit on the very first pitch, so be ready. Now, I made that up. There's no <laughs> statistic like that. But you want to just take the, their mind off, you know, their sore ankle. So Ryan says, you mean 68% if I get a ball off my I get a hit? I said, yeah. He says, darn. He says, I must be one of the 49% that don't. Kevin <laughs> Jackson goes, dude, that's bad math. <laughs> but, you know, those are stories that, that we tell. And, you know, only on the bench, out to dinner, in a locker room, you can you hear these things. I think some of these things should be preserved. You know, uh, great Yankee stories that, that I had. Um, Thurman Munson was one of my favorites. I, I was very fortunate to be with the Yankees when he started. He, um, he took a kid who said, you know, Heck with this game. I hate this game. You know, uh, uh, this game stinks. You know, I, I'm I'm really tired of it. Thurman took him over to the laundry basket, grabbed him by the collar, says, here, take your uniform off, put it in the laundry basket, walk out of here and quit. No one will care. He says, Babe Ruth died, the greatest player ever, and the game still goes on. Well, needless to say, that kid was back with a different attitude the next day. But, you know, those are kind of things that, yeah. And that's, that's why Thurman uh, Munson was the captain of the Yankees. No, he was great. He was a wonderful man. You know, I, I got to speak with Bucky Dent today, and that's a, a very special day for Bucky, you know, because he went up to Boston. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, Bucky, you got to tell me how many of the people, there might be a few, few, a few boos in that 35,000 people <laughs> in Boston, you know. Uh, so I uh, can't wait to hear his stories coming back. Yeah, really, as, as, a guy who, as a guy who lived in Boston for a while many years ago, I can tell you uh-huh. that Bucky's got a middle name in Boston that yeah, we won't be uh, sharing on the air here tonight. No. <laughs> I did want to ask you one question. Yeah. You know, as a baseball fan, as a, as a Cardinal fan, I immediately know your name. But when I was I was thinking about it for a second, and the reason I know your name is that I associate it with that knot you get in your stomach every time you see one of your favorite players get hurt, and you're wondering, oh my God, is he going to be okay? Is it okay for you to be to be associated with that nut in the stomach, the knot in the stomach of Cardinal Nation? <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's a it's a funny thing. I always have an expression: if I'm sitting around doing nothing. Something good's happening. There you go. You know, and and so that's the scary part. And and sometimes you're the bearer of bad tidings. And many times you have to think with your head, not your heart. And you have to tell the truth. You have to tell the player what you think. You also have to relay that to the manager and the management uh, on the status of a guy. And sometimes it's things you don't want to say, and you don't, you know, you don't. They don't want to hear. But you've got to, you know, you have a responsibility. Someone always asks me, boy, there's a lot of pressure in what you do. I said, no, it's not as much pressure as responsibility. And if you take your responsibility and you prepare for that, like any player or like yourself, if you haven't prepared for your, your next broadcast, you know, it's going to come up on you too fast and, and you won't be as successful and as good as you are. Do you think the clubs get a bad rap when it comes to you? You always hear the people and some of this is just like sports talk radio fodder where you'll hear the people saying, oh, yeah, they, you know, they're going to push the guy back or because, you know, he needs to play and they're not going to they're not going to really uh, let on to how bad the injury is or something like that. Is that is that more just mental invention by fans? Because you you've been on the front row of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I always have a, a theory. Never treat by a calendar. 
You know, and a lot of times uh, a guy will get hurt and, and they'll say, how long is he going to be? And I'll say, when he gets back, I'll, I'll tell you how long it took instead of how long it's going to take. Because unfortunately, sports medicine, athletic training is not, a, is not an exact science. You know, there's an art form in what we do. And getting a guy back healthy, getting a guy back so he can play the remainder of the year, you know, so he doesn't re-injure himself is a real art. Art and science combined. Okay, yeah. one more one more question for you. Cardinals are in Los Angeles tonight. If you were with them, where would you be eating? Where would I in L.A.? Yeah. Gosh, uh, that's a great question. Um, it depends where they're staying. You know, a lot of times, you know what I, I, I'd probably eat? I'd probably find my buddy uh, Gary Vitti, who is a trainer for the Los Angeles Lakers, and make him take me to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going wherever it's free with your buddy, in other words. <laughs> yeah, don't say that, but yeah, I, I pay for it. Cause, no, but uh, there's so many uh, you know, great restaurants um, in L.A., and uh, you, know, uh, you know, one of them, you know, that would, that would be a, uh, a neat place uh, to go, like in L.A., uh, is, uh, oh, let me think of that. The name real quick. I apologize. I wasn't trying to put you on the spot. No, it's quite all right. <laughs> Three hundred sixty-five um, restaurants. Tough to remember. Oh, I know. Uh, but you know, uh, gosh, um, I guess it's it's funny how you just you know it. it, it well, did, you, did you did you did you were you more of the guy for like the super fancy like the uh, like the French Laundry or Spago places like that, or were you more yeah, of no, the, the hidden what? gem I, I, guy? I did, I did like we in uh, I did love Mastros, you know they had one in Beverly Hills, you know, and that was really good because I knew the people from uh, Phoenix, the Mastro people, and that was always this quality steakhouse and and always really really good, you know. Do you have so a favorite? A, do you have a favorite in St. Louis that's a go-to when oh, you come back? Without a doubt, you know I'd go to uh, either uh, Cafe Napoli, Dominic's, or Palmano's. That's that's like a, uh, you know that, that would be a real. Uh, those are all treats. Okay. You know what I mean? Those those kind of places are, all right. are always really good. You know what I mean? Um, there's, a, you know, uh, so many places in L.A. That, that are really good. I used to go to Manhattan Beach, a place called Love and Salt. That was pretty good. And I know uh, Gary Vigio. Or uh, in Torrance, there's a great restaurant called Primo Italia. My buddy um, uh, has a place there, and uh, it's it's really terrific. So. So yeah, no. a, a lot to choose. Oh, one last yeah. question before we go, because yeah. I just I've been I wanted to ask you this one. We talk about the great restaurants. We talk about the great great cities. What, in your opinion, and this is a little on the spot, but I think you'll probably be able to pull this one out. What, in your opinion, <laughs> is the toughest city to find a great meal in in baseball? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a great. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a, that's a hard question because you know you always. You always can find some place to go. There's always a and, spot. Uh, yeah, I guess there, there's you know, always a spot. What, you know what? You know when you, I always, I always say there's two great moments in sports. The two greatest twenty minutes in sports. Okay. One is in Chicago, and one is in Boston. The one in Chicago, if you beat it, it's got to be a Friday afternoon because you beat the Cubs, so you're feeling good. There's a twenty minute ride from the ballpark Wrigley back to your hotel and you're going along Lake shore drive. And it's just a beautiful evening. You've already beat the Cubs. And the only thing you have to decide is what great restaurant you're going to eat at in Chicago. 
So if there's a tough city to find a good restaurant, it's on the opposite. There's so many good ones, you just don't know which one to go to. <laughs> and the same thing in Boston. On a Saturday afternoon, you beat the Red Sox, and you walk from Fenway back to your hotel. It's about a 20-minute walk, and the only thing you have to decide is what great restaurant you're going to eat in Boston. <laughs> so those are the hard decisions, I think, you know, is, is find out. Because you're only there one or two nights that you have the capability of eating you know, a meal, and you have to really pick the right one. So that's that's a challenge, but it's also exciting and it's a lot of fun. I love those kind of problems. Well, once again, the book is Eating My Way Through Baseball. Life's a Journey. Enjoy the meal. That's by Barry Weinberg. Two of the best things you can have. Baseball stories and a heck of a reference book, it sounds like, for great restaurants around this country. Barry, thank you so much for joining us tonight on KMOX. It's a real pleasure. You can get it on, on eatingmywaythroughbaseball.com, and uh, I'll be glad to sign them for you. And uh, you make sure I have your address so I can send you a personalized copy. But thanks a lot for having me, and I wish you all the best. And uh, we'll see you during the hockey season. All right, Barry, thank you so much. KMOX, right. it's 931. For the Cardinals, the regular season is done. But there's still more Redbirds baseball. And the Cardinals have secured the second wild card in the National League. It's the Cards and Dodgers in the wild card game Wednesday. Kevin Wheeler has the pregame show at 6.15. First pitch with Rooney and Horton at 7.08. On your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. And we're back. KMOX at your service on a Tuesday night. George Sells with you up until 11 o'clock. And, of course, a lot of Cardinals talk so far this evening. I mean, hey, Cardinal Nation is on its ear. You want to get out there? You want to put all your Cardinal posts on social media? But yesterday you couldn't do that in a lot of cases because Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, all down. Part of a crazy few days for the folks at Facebook, and we're going to try to sort it all out here. Joined now by Adam Raziri, Chief Marketing Officer for Agency Partner Interactive, a big tech guru. And Adam, welcome to KMOX. George, pleasure to be with you. Whatever you're selling, I'm buying. <laughs> Appreciate it. I, I'll tell I couldn't you what. help myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been done before, trust me. But <laughs> Tell me this. Uh, Facebook, crazy couple of days. Let's start with the outage and there have been people out there suggesting that maybe that was some kind of a diversion to get away from all the bad press they're getting regarding their algorithms and the whistleblower we'll get that to get to that in a second but first do you see this as some kind of big diversion or is that just a little too conspiracy theory for you you know the the closet conspiracy theorist to me really wants to say man that was definitely a diversionary tactic to make us just totally forget about all the crazy stuff that was, you know, dropped on the table by that whistleblower. Um, but, you know, just kind of thinking about some of those, some of those crazier situations that we've seen from big tech that have really impacted in some cases, half the world, uh, or in other cases, half the country. I remember when a developer at Amazon put a semicolon in the code where it shouldn't have been. And it shut down like half of the, uh, half of the U S websites for a period of about six to eight hours. Uh, I think most of those were on the, on the uh, East coast. And that was a few years ago. And so I think about Facebook and I'm like, well, you know, is this really a diversion or did somebody over at Facebook forget to update their credit card information with GoDaddy? You know, is this, <laughs> is this something as, as goofy as that? Or, you know, is this something a little bit more serious? Did an insider literally just kind of destroy it from within? Did, uh, did a foreign actor 
try and hack the, the Facebook platform to steal a bunch of user data. And, you know, what I've kind of learned is that today, all of a sudden, just all this data just emerged on the dark web. And this is just a bunch of Facebook data that was, that was stolen, I, I believe, fairly quickly and at some point yesterday. Uh, still looking at that a little bit more closely, you know, it, it's really hard, George, to kind of listen to what Facebook says, just given what we've learned from the whistleblower, and just take it at face value. You know, we already know Facebook will say one thing publicly, and then within their walls privately, they're saying things that are very, very different. So, you know, yesterday's situation, it was an outage that really, I mean, it, it deprived the company of about $6 billion in revenue, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, and also, too, yesterday, as a, as a business, Facebook lost about 5% in its value in the market. So, you know, really a rough day. But all that being said, was that just a diversion to, to kind of get us to focus on this and to talk about this and not focus so much on you know, the, the bigger animal, which might be InstaKids and, and Facebook's ambitions to have Instagram capture uh, an audience of new users that are under the age of 13. You know, I don't really know. You, you can't trust what you're hearing. I think at this point, we just have to listen to a lot of different and diverse data sources and kind of make our best judgment from there. I guess the PR guy in me thinks that you don't take one bit of bad press and put some more bad press on top of it to divert people away, and then you get into the, the financial figures. Is it worth one day's diversion from the story that's not going away, uh, the, the kind of money that it cost them over the last 24 hours? So my leaning is away from the, the conspiracy theory, but even right. if you can take them at face value, I think what is incredibly concerning, the, the reports that they have released that this was some kind of an update gone wrong and right. you're hearing not only about the outages but internally them losing their ability to communicate internally even the ability for your key card to unlock the door and it really makes you ironic? wonder it just about how susceptible we are to something like this if you take them at face value and this was an accident it made one hell of a mess well, yeah, I mean, when you, when you really just look at this, they're saying, oh, well, you know, there was, there was a bug that presented during routine maintenance. You know, I mean, shoot, what do you think about Facebook, right? You think about all the people that Facebook has deplatformed or, or shadow banned or just blocked in general. And then you kind of like think about how ironic it is now that Facebook employees can't even communicate with each other on Facebook's, you know, legacy, legacy platforms and the tools that they really use to run their business. I mean, they were looking to literally a Microsoft product to send email, but just internal communications. They had to rely on Outlook for that. Uh, they were relying on Google products for, for document sharing. They were relying on Zoom for, for video conferencing. So it's, it's, it's a little bit goofy to, to kind of sit here and realize that, uh, this company that's used their own platform to silence people, they're now being silenced themselves. Um, so, you know, I, I think it probably is realistic and reasonable to say that there was some just catastrophic internal error. You know, it could be, maybe it's as small as a semicolon in the code uh, that just took them a while to figure out. But, you know, I think there's probably a bigger story here. No question about it. And then the other big story, of course, uh Sunday night on 60 Minutes, follow-up performance today on Capitol Hill in Washington. Francis Haugen, a 37-year-old former Facebook product manager, the Facebook whistleblower as she has quickly become known, producing document, internal document after internal document from Facebook showing that they know some of the horrible things that their platform is probably doing. Instagram's potential toxic effect on teen girls, one of the things that has been widely discussed. And just the fact that, uh, to quote her from today, 
Quote, I am here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits before people. That is shocker, a pretty right? damning indictment right there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I, I want to say shocker, and I kind of say that sarcastically. You know, when you think about their, their competition and the market in general, you've got TikTok with its 689 million monthly users. And, of course, Facebook as, a, as, a, as an ecosystem, it's got 3.3 billion people on it, right? It's a lot. But, but when you think about active users on a daily basis and kind of what drives their, their revenue, their business model and their revenue machine, uh, they, they know that they need kids for Instagram. You know, they know that 40% of Instagram users are under the age of 22, and you have 22 million teens logging into Instagram every day. But they've identified that they're starting to see user growth slow quite a bit, from about 4.5% to what they're projecting to be just under 2% uh, by 2023. So you know, they're sitting here looking at their forecast, and they're just like, oh, my gosh, guys, we got to go get some more kids on our, on our platform here. Where do we find them? And so you've heard discussions of Insta kids, and we've already heard just kind of a desire from Facebook to go and attract these kids that are under the age of 13, you know, convert them early, hold them for life. It's actually kind of a tactic in, in pro sports. Uh, try to get a kid at a young age to love a sports team, uh, nurture them over a long period of time. By the time they're adults, they are paying customers and, you know, they're all of a sudden buying season tickets, right? And, and wearing all the swag and all the gear. Kind of the same thing with Facebook. They want to get kids from a young age, convert them, and hold them uh, for, for a long period of time. Facebook is really concerning. You know, it's just like when you see or when you read what's come out from this whistleblower, well, on one hand, I think a lot of us were waiting for, for what we saw on Sunday. Um, we've seen the Wall Street Journal run with uh, the Facebook files now for some period of time. And so we've, we've heard indications about Facebook being used to perpetuate human trafficking, uh, Facebook used as a tool to really kind of support a flourishing black market. Uh, I, I read something about Facebook being used to trade organs on the black market. I mean, just imagine that. You know, and Facebook knows that this, this stuff takes place, and they do nothing about it. They do nothing to stop it. Um, and so when you, when you see Facebook really just kind of coming to terms with data that followed a three-year study, uh, specific to the team mental health deep dives, you, you see them really now just trying to kind of cover this up and move forward, uh, knowing that what they're doing is wrong. I think what's most striking also is the fact that they're doing this at a time when there probably will never be no greater amount of political momentum on Capitol Hill and, quite frankly, almost unanimity to do something as far as break, potentially breaking them up. You would think they would be scrambling right now to do everything they could to look like the kinder, gentler Facebook in an effort to sort of stem the tide of members of Congress who would like nothing better than to you know, turn them into a 21st century standard oil. And they don't seem to be doing that. And obviously these documents do not help, but... They haven't really been making a great deal of effort, it doesn't seem, uh, even behind the scenes from the documents. That, you know, the example being uh, her talking about that integrity unit that they had put up uh, to help you know, stem some of this mm -hmm. stuff for the election being disbanded the day after the election's over. I mean, how could they not have thought that that wasn't going to get out at some point, whether January 6th that ever happened or not? But yet, here they go. They just continue 
to act like nothing's wrong. I, I, I just have to wonder uh, where Mark Zuckerberg and company, uh, you know, where their head's at, so to speak, at this point, because right. it's it doesn't seem to be in the game, and there is incredible momentum right now uh, for that company to be broken up into several pieces, and you have to wonder if it's at this point if it's not a matter of uh, when if, but a matter of when. Oh, surely, and and there have been quotes coming from Zuckerberg, and, and a lot of people have reported this of him literally saying things like "company over country." which, you know, really makes you question his, his allegiance. Who are you loyal to, Mr. Zuckerberg? You know, and, and, and of course, as we see bipartisan support for uh, reforms to our century-and-a-quarter-old antitrust laws, you know, um, discussions around that, but really no clear, clear uh, picture on, on what that might look like. Um, you know, it, you, you just have to kind of, I guess, understand that this is a very complex issue when it comes to breaking up these, these big tech giants. We could do so in a way that's really reckless and just totally... Uh, uh, stifles American uh, the U.S. ability to compete uh, on a global spectrum, us versus big tech China. Um, you know, I, I think there's hope in what we're seeing here uh, with Facebook and this whistleblower specifically, and, and we see this over time with whistleblowers, and it's why that we offer uh, federal whistleblower protection in general. But I think that there's a lot of good people within the walls of big tech establishment, Google, Facebook. Maybe even Twitter. I struggle to say that one, but maybe even Twitter has some good people. And I think that people, when they see things that they feel are unjust and, and not right, you know, they'll try and do something about it. Sometimes they don't do the right thing, and sometimes they do something that's a bit reckless or maybe even counterproductive. Um, in the case of, of Frances Haugen and, and Facebook, I think that her her ability to obtain really sensitive internal documentation and share that with the SEC and share that with Congress and share that with the Wall Street Journal and just allow that to go from, you know, the private walls of Facebook to, to the public walls of the Internet. I, I think we're very fortunate for that because it validates a lot of the things that we've been observing now for some time. Um, moving forward, you know, how do we fix this? How do we right the ship so that Facebook really is a, a free and fair place? And not just Facebook, but, but what do we do to really impact the industry overall and ultimately create a better society? Maybe it's kind of a lofty sort of aspiration, but discussions around reforming Section 230 and making that way more specific in terms of how big tech companies can actually uh, enjoy that sort of protection, if, if, if they should even be uh, granted that sort of, of, of legal immunity, really. Um, other discussions around improving privacy laws, uh, not just for adults, but specifically for children, too. How do we protect their data? Um, there's a lot of really good conversations, I think, taking place on both sides of the aisle. But, you know, nothing is happening quite fast enough. And I think there's a lot of, of discussion and, and also conflict as to what a potential solution might look like when written in legislation. All right. Well, plenty to stay tuned for. Adam Rosieri, thank you so much for joining us on KMOX this evening. George, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. It's 949. I'm George Sells, KMOX, at your service. Nearly a century of informing, entertaining, and serving St. Louis. KMOX. KMOX at your service, 9.54. Tuesday night, I'm George Sells with you. A little bit of breaking news to share with you. Our partners at Fox 2 reporting northbound Interstate 55 in South City is closed at Loughborough. Apparently, a pedestrian ran into traffic on northbound 55, was struck and killed. There is an accident reconstruction team there now. No word on when they will be reopening the highway. Right now, traffic being rooted off of northbound 55 onto Carondelet. But if you are planning to be out that way in the next 
couple of hours, uh, you may want to look for a different way to get to or from where you're going because it looks like that will probably be shut down for some time. Again, northbound 55, closed in South City at Carondelet. Now, coming up next hour, more Cardinal Talk. Kevin Wheeler will be joining us. Talk more about the birds and what we've got ahead of us here coming up in the wild card game in Los Angeles against the Dodgers. Also talk a little bit about where have all those workers gone? Generation Z may be the source of the answer. Something to think about. Where have all those workers gone? There's help wanted signs everywhere. Have you have you looked around lately? Interesting conversation about who's not looking for a job and who's got some leverage in the job market. All that coming up.